We cross over now to Father Mduduzi Lawrence Ndlovu. Catholics in Action on Matins with Father Emil. And uh, he is a Catholic in action, especially when it comes to political and uh, current uh, issues. Father Lawrence. Hello. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Oh, great, thank you, Father. How's Rodeport? Rodeport is a very, it's very quiet this morning. Uh, generally, it is a, a joy to be here. Nice. Are you getting used to being a parish priest now? Are you getting used to being called a parish priest? <laughs> uh, uh, yes, uh, it, it, it's interesting. I would have loved, you know, you get used all your life to there being somebody else who will deal with everything else, and you sort of walk around and say, no, I'm not the parish priest. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, it's not my problem. Now it is my problem. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and uh, it, it, it's good things, of course, uh, for the Archdiocese of Johannesburg. So starting now with this, uh, President Jacob Zuma, uh, he's basically survived every attempt uh, to remove him from office so far. Uh, the NEC now, uh, I think they're holding a meeting tomorrow again. Uh, following the extensive deliberation, this is what they write, wrote in the statement, following extensive deliberation, uh, the National Working Committee resolved to convene a meeting of the NEC uh, on Wednesday. Uh, so I wonder what's going on there. Well, it's interesting. I think they've really sort of tied themselves up. You know, they've had this very long rope for a very long time. And they've allowed uh, uh, President Zuma to just have so much power, so much strength, that he, he's actually now outmaneuvering them. Because his, his biggest argument, of course, is that his constituency, the KZN constituency, if he is recalled, those people would become despondent, disappointed, and so on, and they might, that, that might com- compromise the victory of the ANC in 2019. But it really is just a delaying tactic. To tell the truth, um, the ANC, it's one of those moments where somebody needs to tell the ANC, you know, you made this bed, you must lie on it. Because what has happened here is that they've got this man that they now can't get rid of, and they really want to get rid of him. And interestingly, uh, uh, um, the reasons that they give for getting rid of him is they're afraid that they will not win the 2019 elections. I laugh. I laugh because um, at no point do they say he's a detriment to the state. He's a risk to their own party. No, no, no. They're thinking about the elections. They're still thinking about the prospects of power, not prioritizing the country. So the National Working Committee, which is a really a powerless body, it's like um, it's one of those bodies that meet in between NECs and that gets the machine going. It uh, doesn't have any power according to the ANC constitution. But I suspect because the top six went to meet and they got the response that they got that I, I'm not going anywhere sort of thing. Yes, yes. Uh, they, they, they called the National Working Committee immediately to sort of work on what would be their strategy feel, as it were. Because I think the, the makeup of that committee is indicative as to how it's going to turn out in the, in the NEC. Now they are calling the NEC uh, and hoping that they would take, I suppose, I, I, I suppose they would take a vote or make a decision about what would happen. 
what they're trying to do won't work. It's in fact going to give Zuma another sort of, we're going to be going through these cycles because what they're trying to do is find a diplomatic, uh, amicable, and non-aggressive way of, of, of taking uh, uh, President Zuma out. But unfortunately, I don't think they're going, I don't think they fully realize that they are working here, lack of a better word, with a, 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 a skeleton who's always looking, looking for ways of staying in power. The ANC is in trouble. I can tell you that. The ANC is in trouble. And already it's February. If this man stays, can, 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 can do the state of the nation address, there'll be another reason why he should stay till uh, December. And then they're going, they're going, they'll, they'll really be in trouble. And, uh, of course, uh, this is bringing uh, disunity, uh, uh, division also in the party, isn't it? But also, you know, from just outside us looking uh, into, the, into the party, we, we, we see that uh, disunity. It's the, most, it's the most strange thing. Here they are, they're singing their favorite song, Unity, Unity, Unity. And you have the Secretary General and the Deputy Secretary General who go out there and say he will finish his term, he's the best thing that has ever done, that has ever happened to the ANC. Then you have the Treasurer General saying he must go. Then you have other pockets, you know, and we're told Didi Mabuza is the one who's meant to lead this uh, mediation that will see Zuma out. It's a mess. It's a mess and it's not united. And I'll tell you, and the officials that want Zuma to stay, watch properly who it is. We already know Ace Mahashule's story in the Free State, yes. and then and the farm and the corruption and all of that, and his children and his involvement with the Gumtan. We already know uh, uh, everybody else's sort of the, the, the desire why they want Zuma to stay because they're worried about themselves primarily, and that's part of the reason why Zuma wants to stay. He wants to be assured that all these criminal problems that have been following him, emanating from himself, uh, will not catch up with him. If he can be assured of that, then he will definitely resign tomorrow. But that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen because, unfortunately, the issues of law and jurisprudence are not in the domain of the party. They're in the domain of the state. Now he's raising up, from what I can see, you know, there's still a section that still is hunkering for Gosaza Matlamini Zuma, which is strange when somebody has been sort of defeated fair and square in a conference. So that faction is what we call the Zuma safety faction, because they'll see to it that Obaba doesn't get anything, any just processes due to his sort of Father, I think, uh, well, we can uh, talk about this until let's actually begin. But uh, I think, uh, yeah, it, it's quite a troubling situation. The Pope, uh, the uh, bishops rather, have uh, released a statement on this as well. And they say, without a quick decision, the new administration of the ruling party will be uh, judged as disunited and uh, vacillating. And uh, we call on President Zuma to act as an elder statesman and put the good of the country first. 
So the bishops uh, have said something. So let's see uh, what happens there. But Father, I think uh, let's quickly move on to something else. Uh, this week, in fact, on Friday, uh, this past weekend, um, was the uh, the day that it was 21 years uh, since uh, that act on abortion uh, came into effect in South Africa. And uh, so the question arises now, what does actually uh, mean to be pro-life? Is it, is it only about abortion or what exactly does it mean? Well, let me begin by saying that it's, it's been 21 years and one cannot even begin to quantify the number of unborn children that have, uh, that, that have been killed. Uh, and if we think about it in that way, and not begin to have, uh, you, you, you see, the, the, the issue of pro-life is the fact that one cannot quantify life based on another uh, circumstance. Life, Kanya, always takes the highest, the first precedence over every other thing. So, in fact, Jesus Christ himself, the pro-life movement of pro-life, emanates from Jesus Christ himself. A thief comes to kill, to steal, to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, verse 10. And this is the purpose of the Christian faith, is the thriving of the human person in, in the guidance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Inherent in every Christian person is a proper Christian person is the desire that life should thrive. So yes, abortion, although the conversation about pro-life has always centered itself around the issue of abortion, it's actually far deeper than that. It's steeped in the, in the Christian spirituality. Now, what do we mean uh, when we talk about, uh, uh, then how does abortion come into this? Because the church understands life you see, as, as, as existing from conception itself. We do not then say, oh, it's a person, it's not a person at this stage, it's, it's this, it's not at this. No, no, no. And that is why even the other conversations of the church about other things, like contraceptives, like all of that, have always hinged on the church's understanding of life and the superiority and the thriving of life. Anything that seems to be blocking, hindering, ending life is anti-pro-life. So the pro-life movement would be far bigger than that. May I go even further to say, the conversation, for instance, about euthanasia, people talking about, um, you know, we should allow people who are terminally ill or who are in the senior phase of their lives and would desire to end their lives uh, because they don't want to suffer or uh, they just, all of that kind of thing. And even that is a pro-life issue because who gets to decide what happens? Is it the author of life or do we sort of check out when we think uh, we're done with this? What is this uh, commodification of life? For instance, in the case of the elderly and the sick, uh, how do we commodify the uh, person based on what they can do? Is that how we define a, a human being based on what they can do? Uh, people say, oh, I can no longer work, I've become useless, 
they, they, they become expensive and all of this sort of, sort of thing. Is that how we uh, 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 decide what the quality of life is? So that means the human person has been reduced, reduced to a, a tool that can offer, that can do, that can work, that must whatever. The second that they can't do all of that, really their project of living is done. And I think that is faulty because it's, it's the commodification of human life. But Father Lawrence, here, well, here, let me just throw in uh, something else there in, in yeah, this. Even, um, what do they talk abortion. It's an industry, an industry based on the unwanted child. So that's very hard. So the, the issue of, 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 of pro-life movement is huge. Well, you know what? In, in America, the pro-life movement, obviously, uh, quite big. But uh, there are still some states, of course, uh, in the USA that uh, then uh, promote a death penalty, uh, whether by hanging, whether by uh, guessing and so on. How, how does this then uh, play itself in that? On one hand, uh, you are yes. pro-life, you against abortion and so on, uh, but you support the death penalty. It's hypocrisy, unfortunately. It's hypocrisy. Uh, because you cannot sustain the argument for the death penalty and be pro-life. Because that means, we've taken, once again, we've taken unto ourselves the duty of, dis- of, 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 of deciding the end of a life. You see, we should always be careful in understanding Christian spirituality. And people always say, but hold on, this person was a murderer, but hold on, this person was whatever. Yes, what sets apart the Christian faith? from any other, any other faith, is the notion of God as being eternally merciful and desiring to be reconciled with a sinner. And uh, the second we then say somebody deserves to die as if they, they cannot be forgiven, we're really walking into terrain that is almost unchristian. The hallmark of Christianity is in self-forgiveness. The fact that we forgive because we have been forgiven. And I don't think that anybody who can hold down that argument is really pro-life. I think it might have been a difficult one. It's a desire to fulfill a certain justice. There are other means of fulfilling justice, like imprisonment and so on. Well, you know, another question actually comes in there, you know, the, uh, in a secular country like South Africa and, uh, you know, even, even the U.S., uh, quite secular. And when it comes to elections, then, you know, for example, in South Africa, we know the government is not necessarily pro-life. They, uh, you know, there's that uh, abortion act and so on. How does this then play itself out? Do I say, OK, I'll abstain because all the parties that are involved uh, are not pro-life? There's the two, the two things that are in place. Firstly, America included, South Africa included, is that it, we are an inherently theistic, believing country. Okay? We are a religious bunch of people. And I, 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 um, the state then created this sort of circular uh, institution which doesn't that takes into account everybody and that doesn't take any particular group and so on and all of that, and therefore it comes across as, as, as unbiased. 
But that is uh, in itself a created reality, which is separated from the real reality. The real reality is that we are religious people. And I think we agree on most of the things. We agree on most of, of, of what should be done around these things. Now, what do I think uh, uh, with regards to all of this? What does this all, all mean? The state should never forget the plurality, the plurality, the plurality of itself. That uh, this is one problem that I always find that the state quick is quick to say it is secular, but forgets to say that it is plural. So I admire uh, many countries that do hold serious referendums when it comes to issues like these, because the state ought to understand that its very gut, its very, uh, its very core, is a religious people. And I think that uh, the, the secularness of the state, yes, it's necessary, but it should never play ignorant, you know, to, to the real, real faces. I'm fascinated by politicians. You know, just you secular, the state is secular, and so on. But the first thing they do is come to a church to want to address. They want to they want to see the church on their side. So, at which point does this sort of we move between two concepts? And I think it's it's, it's always been a bit of a pain for me. And that's uh, Father Lawrence Mtuduzinjov, our Catholic comment uh, for this morning. Father, we speak again next week. Uh, it's issues that, of course, uh, the conversation on these issues uh, continues. Yes, thank you. Bless you. Have a good day. And you too. God bless.